unwire. We are going to use this pulpit mic, so if you don't like watching me move around, good luck. Or you're in good news today. So, wasn't that great? Much better than my feedback. You know, today is the end of a long journey that we have taken together as a community of faith. So, this is the last Sunday that we are in the series, The New Testament, together. Revelation 17. Uh, did you see what's in Revelation 17 today? It is not one that you're just like, oh boy, this is a great way to end it. I mean, we talk about the great whore and the beast. So we're like, what do you do with it? I did have a suggestion that says, you know, you know, maybe the Spirit led you to some other text today. It was a good thought, Nathan. Thank you very much. But... I decided that we were going to finish this out the way we did. Um, Revelations is a difficult book. Uh, many of us actually just put it aside and never, uh, never attempt to read it at all. Um, I think it's been abused over the years. I think too many people have tried to solve the mystery of Revelation and how the end of the world is supposed to come, come about. Some of us have looked at the scriptures and we just want the answers. We want to have this just confidence and this peace. Um, but always look at the story of Moses. You remember Moses back in the Old Testament? He kind of was a big deal for the scriptures. I mean, he was the one that God called to deliver his people out of Egypt. This was the guy who basically came in to create, maybe that's not the right term, but basically drew out the nation of Israel. And from the nation of Israel, all these things were redeemed. The first five books of the Bible are known as the books of Moses. They talk about creation. They talk about the law. They talk about how God intervened in the course of human history. And they, he called out a special group of people so that we may know who God truly is. Because there's different kinds of revelation of God. They're the, the kind that you can see through nature and his creation. I mean, his fingerprints are all over this place that we live. There's an illustration that I love when I think about these things. It's the, it's the power of ten. It's this idea where you're just looking at life as we see it. And then you magnify it down ten times, ten thousand times, and you keep finding these microscopic levels of humanity the atoms and the neurons and all this kind of stuff that's just there going on but it's so small that we can't make out until we have a special piece of equipment to look at it and then in that same illustration we start zooming out you first zoom out and you see uh, a couple that's enjoying a picnic and then the, you go out a little more and you see the park that they're enjoying life and you go out more and you see the continent that they're sitting on you go out even further then you see the planet that they're on you keep going and you see this little, tiny, insignificant dot in the galaxy that we're in. God's beauty and majesty is everywhere and more incredible than we can comprehend. I mean, we just found that there's more moons floating around Saturn. NASA found it. Interesting if you're into astrology and these kind of things. But we're discovering more and more about God's handiwork as we go through creation. If we can't solve the meaning of life or what we know now, how are we ever going to solve the meaning of the end of it all? And so as we looked at the book of Revelation, uh, we see how 
it can have value to us. It, it is symbolic. It is rooted in the Old Testament scriptures of that of the prophets. It is drawing about all of God's economy from the beginning of time to the end of time. It is the needle that threads it all. Christ our victor. And what that means for us today. And so this past week, if you have been reading through uh, your chapter a day, you will notice that it got pretty dark. I mean, wrath is being spilled out on the earth. We have the seals being cut, we have the trumpets being blown, and we have the bowls being poured out. You can look at it like a rushing nesting doll. There's layer upon layer upon layer. And we can see how some of this is cosmic and divine, but some of it can be explained away as natural phenomenon. Climate change, if you will. But all of these things are drawing around one product, and that is God's justice. Because our God is a holy God, and he is wholly separated from a sinful people. And in order for God to reign among his people, he has to have a holy people. This is an unholy planet. Just look around. You can look at the evil that takes place that humans in inflict on other humans, that humans inflict on nature itself. You can see what devastation that we cause. But then the earth itself is full of its own corruption and problem. If you don't believe me, just look at these tsunamis that take place because of underground earthquakes out in the ocean that just obliterates coastal cities. Look at the fury of a tornado. Look at all this kind of stuff. Yes, we can cause some of these problems, but the earth was having these long before we started messing it up goes back to the sin that has corrupt not only our human soul, but also the planet we live in. Think about the Garden of Eden. If you look at creation, there was a point in the story where there was no predator, there was no prey, there was just animals. Everyone was vegan to make you feel bad about it. I mean, think about it. God gave us all the, all the food and the fruit that comes from seeds. He didn't say, I'm giving you milk and butter and cheese and eggs and all this kind of stuff. He gave us the fruit of his vegetation so that we may live and that we may prosper. But he, not just to human beings, it was to the, the lions and the bears and the sheep and all this kind of stuff. But it was when sin entered in the garden and they were kicked out of Eden. And God had to, to slay an animal so that he could clothe our nakedness. That is when things changed. Now we may enjoy a steak. We may enjoy all this kind of stuff. And we're in that era where we can. I told Noah, release those animals and tell them to fear you. For things have now changed. You are no longer the caretaker of animal life, but you are the ruler. Now human beings over the course of history have misunderstood what power truly is. Because power, God honoring power, is the one that seeks to do what's better for others. Is one that lifts up the other over ourselves. But yet, over and over in human history, power has not been that way. Power is what advantages me the most, or my kind. We will, do, we will go to great lengths to find power for our people. No matter what we destroy along the process. 
And so when we see these bowls of wrath or these trumpets, hear the trumpets blow or the seals broken loose, we see that God is cleansing this place that we live in. But he is also doing it in a way that will draw humanity back to him. Because we see in this story a humanity that is enemies of God, just as we once were before we met Jesus Christ. And through these destructive acts, he is giving signs. He is giving opportunity over and over again for these people to repent and return to God, to be one of his children and to find the redemption of their souls. But over and over again, these people look for their own way. They look for their own path and they deny God. They, they look at these plagues and say, well, it's a, it's a result of this, this, and this. Well, that's just an evil dictator who needs to be overthrown. We can justify what happens easily if we want to justify it. But these same signs that we see in every generation of humanity is God calling for redemption. He is calling us to something better than this world. He is calling us so that he may come down and dwell among us to be our God so that we could be his children, that we could have the, the benefits of the inheritance of God. And so as we look at chapter 17, I ask myself, well, what do we do with this? At first it comes, it says, John is, is talking to one of the seven angels. Let's just read a few, few verses. It says in verse 1, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on the many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. Be drunk off of this great prostitute. All right, so if we take it literally, that's kind of disturbing, isn't it? If we take it figuratively, that's still kind of disturbing, isn't it? But if we are rooted in our Old Testament scriptures, which I hope you are, you're trying to get so a little bit day after day, we can see that this idea of sexual immorality is spiritual infidelity. It is a call on his people over and over again. Look at the book of Judges, look at the book of Kings. Look at all these Old Testament. God repeatedly refers in these images to his own people because they have chased after these other gods, these pagan gods. And so many of us will ask, well, who is this that we look for? Are we looking for a great king that will do this? Are we looking for a government? Are we even looking for some other type of political situation or structure that is seducing humankind? That is manipulating hum humankind because it is attractive, because it is easy, because it offers something to humankind. Who is it? Some have looked at Rome. Some have looked at the Catholic Church back in the, its dark days. You can look in modern times and find other people. You can look at movements that call. There's a, a movement today that has uh, been gathering traction in our country and is calling those to conversion to come out the closet if you will to follow their religion because I look at the, some movements in our country and some look like on paper just political ambitions but if you look at how they go about it we have converts we have believers we have activists 
That's a set of religious beliefs. But yet, we're not calling it religious beliefs. Because they call it enlightened thought. We've evolved past our common misconceptions, our mythologies. And it's attractive because it is is growing in popularity. It offers you the way that you want to live without any hiccups or hang-ups. And it calls you to spiritual infidelity if you're a Christian. It calls you to compromise what you believe is right. It calls you to unvalue the power of Scripture and to follow the new way to read it. The way that one would be stirred away. But then it says in, in the scriptures that, that John, he, is, he carries me away by the Spirit into the wilderness. The wilderness is an important image throughout the scriptures. It is a place of spiritual provisions. It is where we grow. Some of the early church fathers were these kind of hermit type people that would escape from the cities and the urban centers so that they could commune with God alone but the wilderness is also a place of physical depravity you don't have the basic needs as water and food and if you can find them they're hard to imagine life in this region without wells what kind of fights would they be over the little puddles of mosquito water that we call lakes many of the ponds that we look at we have to pump them you got to fill them up or they go dry. But he's carried away into the wilderness and he sees this woman sitting on a scarlet beast. It's full of blasphemous names, seven heads and ten horns. I mean, this is getting kind of crazy, but this remember, this is symbolism. This is visions. Visions of the Old Testament panned out in the New. These beasts are representing this evil power. We can spend our days trying to figure out who it is, but we can also spend it looking at the message it has for each and every one of our individual lives. Because as John saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, he knows exactly what's going on. And you would think there would be fear or repulsion from John, but it goes on to say, and when I saw her, I marveled greatly. This saint of God who's on the Isle of Patmos for his very beliefs is marveling at this vision, this monstrosity in front of him. Why? Because evil doesn't come as a scary monster. It becomes as something that is attractive. You know, we can read through the scriptures and we can see all these imagery and you can look at artwork throughout Christian history that tries to portray these images. And we can talk about the boogeymans that live in our closet or under our beds and all this kind of stuff. But when you look at statistics, where does evil come from? For those who were attacked, nine times out of 10, I'm making up this statistic, so don't quote me. But it is a high percentage. Children who are attacked, it's usually by somebody they know. It's not this stranger. Children who are abducted, it's usually by somebody they know. It's not a stranger. 
kids who are attacked in church is usually by a church member or a minister. It's within. Many times we set up our fences on the outside so that we can protect the predators that would come in and attack those wolves and lions and bears and all those things that will have our throats. But most of the time, it's not out there. It's within our own body. And we see this through Revelation because there are those within the saints that aren't really the saints. There are those within the church that aren't really part of the church. And sometimes we mistakenly follow those false prophets. We follow them away. And we can claim that we are followers of Jesus, but we're not. The message has been corrupted. It has led many astray. And that's why we as Baptists are people of the book. We don't leave our Bibles at home, but we bring that with us. We bring it so that we can look up the scriptures that the pastor preaches, that we can look up the scriptures that we study in Sunday school so that we can see and test for ourselves and that we can pray together with brothers and sisters so that we may be enlightened to the word. We are human and we can are prone to failure, but the word of God is true and just for every generation. It is the backbone of what we build our faith on. Without it, we don't know who God really is because without it, all we can see is the beauty of a sunset or the majestic tree or eagle. We can see that there is a creator who has made this on purpose, who has given us a purpose in this world, but we don't ever know what that purpose is without God's revelation to his people. In the days of old, He spoke directly through the prophets and angelic beings. In the days of latter days, the days that we live in, he spoke through his word. He spoke his message through this gift that we've received. If you've ever studied the history of the Bible, you will find it so fascinating. From the oral traditions that were collected to be put in place when Moses started writing to the the gospel writers, to to Paul and Peter who wrote letters to the early church. You know, we talk about that part of the history, we're fascinated. But there was a time of the exile that compiled all of the Old Testament scriptures because they were, homeland was destroyed, their temple was destroyed, their place that they kept the scripture was destroyed. And it was a day that not everybody carried a little pocket Gideon Bible around with them or had it on a digital format. But God preserved it even in the days of the exile. And he preserved it even in the dark days of the Catholic Church where they would sell indulgences so that you could spring those that didn't believe in Christ out of purgatory and hell and get them uh, just a little bit of coin in the coffer. They will escape the penalty that they deserved. Doctrine were twisted because of ignorance. It was a crime to have a Bible written in your own language for the language of the people. But did it start that way? No. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is not some kind of fanciful language. It was the language of the people. It was written for the people so that they may truly know who God is. And it is now translated into many languages, but we didn't get there. Just recently, we celebrated the life of William Tyndale, who was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. 
Think about that the next time you look at your Bible. Many people paid with their life so that you may have access to this. But in today's church, few of us even, few of us take advantage of what we have been blessed with. There's an ignorance growing in many churches of what the scriptures actually tell us. So if we don't know what's in here, how do we know how to judge the speeches of those charismatic leaders that will twist it? So they say, well, that was just a misunderstanding. Here's what it really means. It means to love others. Let me tell you what love is. But you don't know what love is unless you know how God loves you, the enemy who would take his son, put him on the earth to reveal the mysteries of heaven to us and who would allow that son to pay the penalty that we so justly deserve. We as enemies of the cross, symbolized in the baptism that we partake as we entered into the communion of this church. For we are buried in death with our old ways. But we don't stay under those waters because if we do, we would be dead for real. But we are raised out of those waters because we are brought into a new life, a transformed life, a redeemed life. But yet we live in the in-between. We live in the time that Christ has conquered death. But he has not yet pulled his church out or descended on earth to dwell among us as he would have back in the days of the Garden of Eden. But as this goes on in verse uh, 8, it says, And the beast that, that you saw was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit, and go into destruction, and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and it is not and it is to come this calls the mind of wisdom and so if you've been following along in the scripture several times between the last week we last sunday and today there have been calls for endurance for the saints it is called for you to live a life of faithfulness among a pagan and heathen world which means a faithless world, a world that has gone after the great prostitute, that has been seduced by her ways. And it calls us here in this chapter to wisdom. But if all the wrath and things like that scare you, if you read this book, wrath is not eternal. Wrath is limited in nature. Wrath is cleansing. It is justice done. So as we proceed in the days ahead, there will be those great institutes that rise and that will steer people astray, that will steal the world powers astray. And they will be enticing. They will be easy. They may be free. But they will cause us to become drunk and lose our senses so that we may not have a mind of wisdom as the scriptures calls us to now. And in verse 14 it says, And those ones that will follow this woman, this beast, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. There will be a great battle at the end of things. And those who are faithful will be with the Lamb. And the forces of the Lamb will conquer the, conquer the forces 
of evil. And the cleansing of the earth will be nearly complete. And then the rest of this chapter, it shows how even some of the enemies of the faithful today, God will use to punish his enemies, just as in the days past. When the Babylonians came in, God allowed them to conquer Israel, to destroy the temple, the symbol of his presence on earth. Not because they were more powerful than the forces of the children of God, but because the children of God had fallen into adultery, had fallen in with the prostitute, and they had sinned in the idolatry of their day. They had gone after the pagans of the land. How do we know when that happens? The poor are victimized. The hungry are not fed. The sick are not cared for. The children are not protected. That was happening in the days of Israel, so God allowed the Babylonians to come in. But the Babylonians didn't rule forever. They're not in charge today. And God used other enemies to deal with them for the sins that they had committed. And so how do we end this lesson? How do we end our journey through the New Testament together? Well, this is a spoiler if you've been reading through Revelations for the first time, but if you will, turn with me to chapter 21. This is what the book has been pointing to. This is the answer to the mystery of Revelation. In verse tw ver chapter 21 and verse 1, it tells us this. It says, Then John saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. It says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his, this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, sexual immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, which is hell as we can imagine it. For those who are faithful and true, for those who hear the call for endurance and endure, for those who call for a mind of wisdom and they recognize those false prophets that will come and that will lead us astray and they say faithful to the cause of Christ. They love their enemy because God first loved them. God created their enemy. God created you. And they love in a way that God showed us, that they put their needs before their own. 
If you want to know the secret of the Bible, it is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the day. We are thankful for your scriptures and this journey that you have taken us through as a body of believers. Lord, I pray for all of those that are here today and those that are watching us on television or listening to us on the radio. I pray that they have been blessed by your message. I pray, Lord, that they have been called to a life of faith and endurance. And I pray, Lord, that you give us the strength in the days ahead so that we may stand strong, that we may endure the attacks, that we may be the people that you called us to be because you created each and every one of us with a purpose. You created us to be your children and to go into all the world and to make disciples of all peoples. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to do what needs to be done. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're ready to share that with the whole church, maybe you have been following Jesus Christ for some time, but you've never followed him in obedience of baptism, and you're ready to testify with your life that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Or maybe you're simply in need of prayer. Come forward at this time.